Well, today we do uh, continue our series and actually conclude our series from the story after 31 weeks. So, well done. You're stuck with us. We got there. And uh, it's been a really great series to walk through the entire Bible from Genesis and today we end up in Revelation. And uh, over our times of fellowship after the service today and in the coming weeks, I'd encourage you to share with other people one or two things that have gripped you, that have encouraged you, that have maybe surprised you or things you've learnt or relearnt and just to be an encouragement to each other because I'm sure that each one of us has something. Uh, so so let, let's be a bit more purposeful in our, in our times of fellowship and conversations today and in the coming weeks and encourage each other in that. And you know, uh, last week uh, I returned from holiday and uh, this week I, I'm heading off again. Um, and so uh, off to Tassie this week for my brother's 40th birthday and then we're going to head up to Queensland to take the, the um, holiday that we booked in 2020 but couldn't get there. Um, we're finally getting that one in, uh, so that'll be really nice. Um, and while I'm away in the pub, we've got three different speakers. Next week is Phil Stott, and he'll be sharing the biblical foundations for hospitality. And uh, Phil comes recommended to us with some great experience in business and has also undertaken theological training and has been in church leadership roles um, and was recently part of a church plant uh, in Melbourne um, that grew considerably over their first 15 years. Um, and I think you'll appreciate what he has to say. We then have Barry Bursky from Celebrate Messiah coming. And Barry is going to share with us how the gospel is presented in the Jewish feasts. And so that's going to be a really key thing because, you know, as Gentiles or as non-Jewish people, we miss so much of the depth and richness that is in the Old Testament and how much of the gospel is presented in the Old Testament of Jesus. And so Barry's going to unlock a bit of that for us, so I hope that he'll be able to increase your knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. And then after Barry, we have Tim coming to share. And then I'm back, and we won't then be, we'll only be a couple of weeks then from Vision Sunday. And uh, I'm really excited about Vision Sunday and can't wait to share some exciting things uh, that God has been birthing. But before we get that into that, I'd like to pray for us and pray over this message this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we come before you now and we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak into our hearts and into our lives today. We ask that as we open your scriptures in Revelation, Lord, um, that you would, would, as it says, reveal to us the future that you have in store for us. And may that be not only encouragement to us individually, but also may it spur us on to see other people uh, encouraged by that hope that we do have of that eternity with you and help us be active in pursuing uh, the sharing and spreading of your gospel, we pray. Amen. Dan Smith was an avid runner. And Dan... Um, went one day to compete in an Ironman triathlon in Lake Placid, New York. Now, of all the Ironman events around the world, Lake Placid has a bit of its own reputation. Now, I'm not sure if you're into Ironman. I'm not, um, but uh, you can. I don't really have the physique for it. Um, 
But Lake Placid's only a small place. I mean, when we lived in Frankston, there used to be Iron Man held in Frankston, and Frankston's 150,000 people um, just in Frankston area, but Lake Placid's 2,500. That's the population of Lake Placid. But what they do for Iron Man is they fill the local stadium, the local school football stadium, and the final mile, the final four laps of the triathlon is run on the high school track. Four laps of the high school track. And the residents, they arrive early in the afternoon so they can applaud the winner. And then they stay all afternoon and into the evening, into the darkness, so they can applaud the late finishers and the stragglers. Well, Dan was one of those. And he had been running and biking and swimming since 8 a.m. in the morning. And he was a, a, a good half an hour from the stadium and his legs were cramping, he had blisters, his feet hurt. It was all he could do to not quit. But then he heard the roar. Then he heard the people. And then he saw the lights of the stadium distant in the future he said i began to lift up my chest i began to lift my feet and i began to run harder because of the sound and because of the lights in the future within half an hour he reached the parking lot of the stadium and by now the noise was deafening over the pa system as he entered the stadium he heard someone say and now from san antonio texas Dan Smith and people he had never ever met, never seen, never known existed until that moment erupted and, uh, erupted and began applauding for him, a stadium full of people. And he began making that last mile around those four laps of that track. And he was surrounded by supporters. All the children began shouting, Dan! Dan, Dan, Dan. It's almost like, you know, like, a, an, like dreams, isn't it? Gone was the pain and gone was the difficulty and gone was the struggle. He was surrounded by a huge cloud and crowd of witnesses. You know, at the core of the Christian promise is this. Victory is one. This race ends in victory. That's the core of the Christian promise. This race ends in victory. And some of you have been running a long, long time. It feels like a marathon and you're weary. And part of you wants to give up and maybe just throw in the towel. But what God says to you in, in what God says through the book of Revelation is there's a great day coming. And if you incline your ear towards heaven and if you lift up your eyes and look into the future, you can see the lights, you can hear the crowds, and it's enough to cause you to lift up your chest and keep running. You know, the message of Revelation is is the final book of the Bible. And I think 
this series has gone pretty quick. Some of you might think, gee whiz, no, actually it's gone a fair while, 31 weeks is a long time. But for some, it, you know, I, I feel it's gone really quick. We start in Genesis and book after book, page after page, chapter after chapter, story after story, person after person, Old Testament into the New Testament. And finally, we're looking at the second coming of Christ, looking into the future. Many people are intimidated by studying the book of Revelation because it's so full of symbols and images that, that we often find diffi difficult to interpret. And granted, it's not an easy book to understand. I don't find myself there too often, I must admit. But it helps to know that the book of Revelation itself has an outline. John, the apostle who authored the book, was instructed by an angel. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. Write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. So, so John is told to write what he has seen. And that's chapter 1. He saw Jesus. And then he's told to write what is now. Well, that's the church age. That's, that's why the book of Revelation has, has letters or, or comments to the churches. And that's where we are right now. We're in the age of the church and, and the churches can find themselves in chapters 2 and 3. And the bulk of the book is comprised in de of, with describing what will take place in the future. And that is a specific description of seven years of tribulation that is coming to this earth after the church has been taken into heaven. We won't be there to experience it. But the bulk of the book of Revelation is dedicated to helping us understand what's going to happen during a terrible seven-year stretch of tribulation that will end with the second coming of Christ. And that second coming of Christ is described in Revelation chapter 21 by the coming of the new Jerusalem. Now, I only get one book, one, one sermon in the book of Revelation in this series, so I'm going to skip over to the good stuff. <laughs> you'll, 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 you'll be all right with that, I'm sure. See, I'm going to skip to Revelation chapter 21. By this point, the church age, is, church age has ended, the tribulation is over, and the new kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem, is about to be inaugurated. And just as, as Dan could hear the sounds and see the sights of the homecoming, so John the Apostle, the only apparently remaining living apostle, well into his latter years, you know, probably 80 or 90, uh, he, isolated on the island of Patmos, is given this vision. He says in chapter 1 and verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. At least eight times in the book of Revelation, John says, I saw. I saw an angel, I saw the kings of the earth, I saw a white horse, I saw beasts. But this is the only time that he says, but I, John, saw. As if to say, I, that, that old Galilean fisherman, I, the that apostle who placed his head upon the chest of Christ, I, the beloved one, I got to see something no one has ever seen. 
I saw the new Jerusalem, the city coming down out of heaven. I saw the crown jewel of heaven. And for what it's all worth, I actually interpret this literally. I believe that the day will come in which a city that we're about to describe will come out of the heavens, a literal, touchable, tangible, walkable city. And the reason I don't think this is just a metaphor and symbolic is because what Jesus said the night before he was crucified, he said, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. He is going to prepare a place. And place here is the Greek word topos. Topos, T-O-P-O-S, a place. Topography is a literal place. And that place is the New Jerusalem. So a new Jerusalem is being created right now in the heavens and someday it will descend from heaven and it will take its rightful place on this earth. But I guess the question we have is, you know, we want to almost say here, don't we, like, well, I mean, a city, like a new city, really? Like, I don't know about you, but cities don't do it for me. When I think of city, I think of congestion, I think of busyness, I think of pollution, I think of tolls, I think of exorbitant prices for everything. I don't really get excited about cities. I mean, I'd, I'd be pretty excited about a new lake or a, or a new valley or a new mountain top or like, but, but a city? Why should we be excited about a new city? And as if anticipating our reluctance, John describes the city and gives us two wonderful implications. First of all, God has space for us. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. So you can dismiss any thought of congestion. The New Jerusalem stretches the imagination. 1,400 miles in length, width and height. And if you don't speak in miles like I don't, that's 2,253 kilometres. Large enough to contain the landmass from Melbourne to Mackay and Brisbane to Alice Springs. All the US Appalachians to the west coast from Canada to Mexico. 40 times the size of England. Larger than the nation of India. And that's just the ground floor. The city stands as tall as it does wide. Now suppose God stacks the cities, you know, stacks the stories of the city as an architect stacks stories of, of a building today. 
Well, we're looking around at a city that has each floor, hang on to your hats, there's 600,000 of them. 600,000 floors to this city if it's stacked like buildings. And each floor is 5 million square kilometres. Now, you might be thinking, well, how big is Australia? Does anyone know how, many, how big Australia is in square kilometres? A smidge over 7 million. So it's nearly, it's, it's over two-thirds of the land mass of Australia per floor and there's 600,000 floors. Congestion is not going to be a problem. All right? there will be plenty of room for the billions of God's faithful people. God has a place for you. It comes equipped with gates. And so there is a place to come and there is a place to go, which suggests that there will be nature outside of the city. But the heart of God's creation will be this new Jerusalem and it will have ample space for you. Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And I think so. I think there will be many, many rooms. And so there is ample space for you. How long were you alive before you realised that life doesn't always have room for you. I mean, how long were you alive before you realised that not everyone gets to make the team? Not everybody gets to go to that school? Not everybody gets their own bed sometimes? Or their own room? It's sometimes constricted and restricted. How long were you on earth before you realised that not everyone has time for you? Maybe your dad didn't have time for you. Or maybe the world didn't have space for you. And it's as if the Apostle John here wants to say, heaven has plenty of room, plenty of room for all of God's faithful people. And not only does it have plenty of room, it has plenty of provision. Then the angel... Oh, sorry, I forgot. If this city were depicted as a cube in accordance with the Earth's size, that's how big it would be. If that is the Earth represented as a globe, to scale, that's the cube. So, it, as you can see, that's like on North America and it sort of like covers it all. So, there you go. Sorry. Um, so, not only does it have plenty of room, as you can see, it has plenty of provision. Revelation 22, 1 or 2. Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. See, in the center of the city, there's a tree that is so large, it spans both sides of the great river that runs through the city. You know, a picture of a glorious garden right in the center of this city. Its harvest is so rich, it requires 12 months to gather. You know, like an, an apple city with abundant provisions. Yeah, and this is great news for the thousands of people who squeeze two cents out of every dollar, or who squeeze all the cents out of every dollar. 
who live not just month by month, but week to week, day to day. Blessed are the poor, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, what great news it is for people who struggle to have enough. There is a day coming where there will be plenty of space, plenty of provision for you, for all of us. But then someone might say, but, well, well, but, but will God allow me to be in a city after the decisions I've made, after the poor choices I've made? Will he allow someone like me to come into this city? And you're going to like this. Because not only does God have space for us, then John says, God has grace for us. Revelation 21 verses 12 and 14. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Twelve gates, twelve foundations. On the gates and on the foundations, the names of the twelve tribes and the names of the twelve apostles. Now, I'm not going to skip over that. I want us to rest here for a second. I want you to stop and think about the names on those gates. Stop and think about the names that are on the foundations. Who are these 12 sons of Israel whose names we see on the city gates. Well, Simeon and Levi would be listed there. Do you remember their story? They were the two brothers, the two children, the two sons of Jacob who convinced the tribe of men to undergo circumcision and then three days into their recovery, they attacked and killed them. Then there was Judah, another one of the 12, a son of Jacob who mistook his daughter-in-law Tamar for a harlot he slept with and impregnated her and then there were the nine brothers of course who conspired to kill another brother Joseph and they would have succeeded had Reuben not intervened so they just sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt see these are warring scheming hustlers sounds more like nightclub crowd than the names you would engrave on the walls of the entrance into the city of Jerusalem well, what about the apostles? Well, Peter's name is carved on the foundation. Peter, the apostle who saved his skin instead of saving his saviour. And James and John, remember, they were the ones whose mother demanded VIP seats for them in heaven. Well, what about Thomas? You know, a dubious person who wanted an, an, an audience, a personal audience with Jesus. See, all of these names are on the honour roll. They are the disciples who told the children to leave Jesus alone, who told Jesus to leave the hungry alone, and most of all, who left Jesus alone at his crucifixion. All the disciples forsook him and fled. The scripture says Matthew did, Peter did, Bartholomew did. All of the names that appear on the foundations are names of men who were there only by the great grace of God. You know, when we carve people's names into walls, it's because they're heroes or because they're philanthropists or 
For when God carves someone's name into the wall of his city, it is because he has covered them with a great and unquenchable grace. God's saying, I have grace for you. I have grace for you. And some of you need to hear that. Someone needs to hear right now that God has great grace for you. You've been thinking for a long time that God is angry, that God is ticked off. But hear this. Let it melt that fear and let let this this truth ring true for you. Do you remember that I, he says, I've got your name written in the book of life. My grace is sufficient for you. He will not remember your sin and if there is news even greater than that, it's from Revelation 22 verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. He will not only remove your sin, He will remove, and listen to this, He will remove your capacity to sin. I can't wait to see you in the new Jerusalem. You know, the tendency you have towards selfishness, that'll be gone. The tendency I have towards greed, that'll be gone. The tendency we have toward competition and warring and fighting with each other, gone, gone gone we will finally be the people that god created his people to be there will be no longer any curse remember what the curse is the curse is the consequences of sin the curse is the consequence of sin the shame the fear the anger the guilt the hostility all that creates the chaos and the havoc on the world right now that we are in right now, that, that, that's all the curse. The curse is the consequence of sin. It's the hangover of the rebellion. Adam and Eve sinned. They relied on a tree to give them what only God could give them, life. And when they sinned, their innocence took off opening the door for guilt and shame to move in. Everything changed. No longer did they walk with God in the cool of the evening. They feared God and they avoided His presence. When God asked, where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What happened? Sin happened. He'd been walking with God in the cool of the evening unashamed. But now, because of sin, when he hears the voice of God, he assumes that God is mad and he hides. And people have been hiding from God ever since. Covering themselves up, not with fig leaves, but with careers and business and habits and addictions. Covering up their plans, covering up their loneliness. Relating to God was no longer as simple as a walk in the garden, nor was relating to each other. We have the impression that Adam and Eve got along pretty well before sin. But after sin, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. The snake was nowhere to be found. And relationships became complex. Even their two sons attacked each other. 
and their days became numbered. The knockout punch of the curse was death. God says, you will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. So as fast as you can bite an apple, humanity began running from God. Nature began a war with humanity, and our lifespan had an expiration date. Everything changed. But all of that is going to be removed in the New Jerusalem, in the new Jerusalem. again. Revelation 22 verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. You know, I can't imagine a world with no curse. I can't imagine a world where we truly love God and love our neighbour. Can you? I, mean, I can't imagine a world where we truly have nothing but goodness among us. And our streets are flooded with kindness. And love is the hallmark of a city, of our city, of the city. And joy is written on each and every one of our hearts. I mean, I, ha- I have a hard time imagining that because we've never seen it. We might occasionally have that, just that little glimpse of it in someone, but we've never seen it. Revelation 21 verse 5 Jesus says, I am making everything new. Everything new. The old will be gone. Gone will, will be the hospital waiting rooms. Gone with the tear-stained divorce papers. Gone with emotionless ultrasounds. Gone with loneliness. Gone with foreclosure notices and abuse. Gone with cancer. Jesus says, I am making everything new. The ultimate act of, a, of redemption by a redeemer will be to take this world so stained and bloodied with violence and heartache and he'll make it all new. He'll wash it new. He'll reclaim every atom, every emotion, every insect, every animal, every relationship and every galaxy. He will reclaim even the diseased body and every diseased mind because he is the king and it rightfully belongs to him. And to do anything less would be an admission of defeat and he will not be defeated. Paul says in Romans 8.19, the created world itself can hardly wait for what is coming next even the trees can sense it even the globe can sense it even the universe can sense that there is a rumbling the created world can hardly wait so every page every promise of the bible invites us and lures us with a hope of a new day a new worth and a new kingdom would you let that that promise of that kingdom excite you I mean, it feels like a marathon though, doesn't it? It feels like a triathlon. We get tired. We grow weary. And it seems like too many people are just giving up. To that emotion of despair, God says, lift up your eyes. Listen for the sound. Look at the lights. You're almost finished. Can you hear? Can you hear the people? Can you hear them calling your name? Who's calling your name? Or maybe there's a grandmother who taught you how to pray who's gone long before us. Maybe a Sunday school teacher who gave you your first Bible who's figuratively looking down at you right now. Is there a 
a mum or a dad or maybe there's someone, maybe even one of your children. Maybe there's just good friends. Can you hear them? You know, the picture is of all God's faithful people in heaven together, that would be a massive crowd. And it's like they're saying, come on, don't give up. It's all right. You don't know how close you are to the finish line. You know, maybe that, that, that short, that thought of, of what we have to look forward to, that new city, that hope with all of God's believers together might just help us lift up our shoulders and, and put them back and give us that new strength of confidence to continue and, and might, might, maybe it might give us more forgiveness and help us be more patient and seek to be more like Christ. Just keep going. Keep going. You know, I recently heard the friend of a story, uh, the story of a friend um, who had brain surgery performed on her. And removing a tumour, the doctor was concerned that the slightest miscue had the potential to cause the loss of either her memory or her eyesight. And so he gave the woman an option of which side of the tissue upon he would operate. In other words, if it came to it, if she had to lose either her memory or her eyesight, which would she rather lose? She said, I need to give that some thought. And she did. The next day she contacted the doctor and she said, if I have to lose one, I would prefer to lose my memory. And the doctor said the chances of that happening is, is extremely remote, but thank you for telling me. He'll make his surgical plans accordingly. But he, he was curious and he asked, I, I'm wondering how did you arrive at your decision? And the woman said, well, I'd rather see where I'm going than know where I've been. Can you see where you're going? Oh, what joy awaits you. What glory awaits you. What purity awaits awaits you what an opportunity awaits you and me when we see face to face jesus christ our king who died for us who will come for us and who has promised us my father's house has many rooms if it were not so would i have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you, we thank you. you know, our lives can get so small, our eyes can get so slow and so low to the ground. We, we, we forget to lift up our eyes and look into the future. Would you grant us, by virtue of your Holy Spirit who lives within us, the sense of excitement and joy about the next life, about the new Jerusalem. This is our prayer through Jesus Christ. And all the church said, Amen.